I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to answer this question. No right or wrong answer, your opinion. On a scale of one to ten, one being poor, terrible, ten being perfect and excellent, okay? One being rubbish, ten being excellent. How good do you think the world is right now at tackling climate change? Scale of one to ten, right? Just with the people around you, just... Don't be URC and say five for every answer either, right? That's sitting on the fence. What do you reckon? Two? Zero? Oh, my days. That wasn't even on the scale. Anybody say 10? No. Okay, question two. How likely is England to win the Euros this summer? Scale of one to 10, you know, one to 10? Five? Minus two? This is getting worse. We've got more hope for the planet than we have for England winning the Euros. All right, question three. How good do you think our government is doing right now? Okay, don't even bother with that one. Okay, question four. Scale of one to ten, how, how good do you think Trinity Church is? I assume that's not a minus then. Okay, last question. Scale of one to ten. This is the most serious. How handsome is the preacher? I'm seriously offended by all that laughter, you know that. I got one vote. I, I could count on the one vote. I said to Inika, you've got to come today. You have to come. You know, we've been looking at the book of James. The book of James is, is uh, a book. Jesus is a uh, younger brother, stepbrother, same mother, different father. But Jesus, uh, James wrote this book, and he looked at the world, the Christian believers scattered in different places. He looked at the world, the, the, the church world of his time. And he wrote this book to kind of encourage them, but also to point out some of the things he saw. Because he looked at it, and he went, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, hmm. What I see, he said, is I see a lot of people, and this is what we talked about last week. I see a lot of people in the churches talk in spirit. They sing the songs. They come to church, they do the church things, but when I look at their lives, they're like, their face is that way, but their body is moving this way, right? They, they actually, when I look at them during the week, what they're doing is stuff of the flesh. They're not, they're not being consistent. They're saying one thing, he said, and this is what we looked at last week. They're saying one thing, but they're doing something completely different. And James says, we shouldn't be doing that. They're, they're saying what they believe, what they're expressing in their lives doesn't marry up with how they're living their lives. And he says the two need to be the same. What you say is what you should be. He said, don't, don't, don't say the things. Don't say, ah, God saves, and then you, you're worried about stuff during the week and so on. Don't say, I'm going to build my life on Christ, and yet in the week you, you see you're building your life on other things. He's saying, be consistent. All I see in the world around me in, in the church is... is people saying the right things, they've got the right language, but in their lives, I see lives of flesh. And he said, that, that shouldn't be. And he calls it double-mindedness, two-souled. He said, you, you're like a split character. 
You've got your church character, your Sunday best, and you all come and, you know, you all laugh at the preacher and things which are just bad, sinful. You know, like, you, you come, you've got different characters, and we, we, we turn up in certain situations, and our character that we portray there is one thing, but in your homes and back everywhere else, you, you can be like a demon in those places. And he said that, he calls it double-souled, and, and last week we looked at how you overcome that. He says in James 4, he says, you've got to submit everything. Submit and follow God in what you're doing. Don't be like that. He says, walk by the Spirit in Galatians. Paul says this. Walk by the Spirit so that you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Now the problem is, and we would all agree with what James says, the problem is that as we sing today, you know, our hearts, our lives, we want to go this way. Amen? Who doesn't want to go that way? Right? You wouldn't be here if you didn't really want to go this way. The problem is... That as we're going this way, so far, so often I find myself falling back that way. Isn't that true for you? Paul said it, didn't he? I said, I, I don't do the things that I want to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. I, I want to go this way. I want to be consistent in my life. I want to do the things of the Spirit. But so often I find myself falling back this way, and I kind of yo-yo between the two. And, and, and I hope that Sunday's good enough to keep me going this way so I might get a bit further this way before I fall back this way a little bit. And, and so, and James then goes on to talk about two of the tactics that the enemy uses to draw us back to this way. Because we have victory in Jesus Christ. Amen? Like Jesus said, you know, you can overcome. Jesus showed us that as a human being. He came and he showed us how to walk in the way of the Spirit. And we would love to walk that way, but so often we find ourselves being tempted back to look over our shoulder and kind of go, oh. And today when James speaks, he speaks about two ways, two of the key ways that the enemy uses to get your attention. To get When you're walking this way and everything's going well, this is what the enemy does to kind of make you look this way and to make you fall over and, and turn around and go the other way. And they both come with one single word, pride. Pride is what causes us. We're walking this way and then we get proud of what we're doing or what we're accomplishing and so on, and we turn and we fall. And the first one, he says, is pride in our speech, in what we say. Let's, let's look at how he describes it. He says it like this, Brothers and sisters, do not slander anyone. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Feeling guilty about the quiz yet? What's he saying here? He's saying firstly that he gives three reasons why this is so bad. He's saying, check your speech. What are you doing? Why is it so bad? Well, first he says it's bad because it breaks the law. What's the greatest commandment? Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when you all laughed at me, were you loving? When we scaled one to ten, that was righteous laughter. Was it coming out of you? Just asking. When we scale one to ten, are we loving? When we looked at our politicians and they said, how good is the government? Do we answer that with love or in judgment? Do we sit above them and say, basically, hmm, they're not doing great, according to my standards. Think I could do better? We break the law. Because the law is what God gives the law is love your neighbor as yourself. And how much of our conversation really is about loving one another and elevating them and pouring into them? Or how much is about pulling them down and sitting in judgment? You see, he says it's not only about breaking the law. We, we break the law. We don't love the Lord our God, and therefore we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. But he also says, you know what you do then? You're actually saying that the law that God sets is no good. That my law is better than his law. Every time when I, I, I fail to walk in this way and I turn and I walk in this way, what I'm saying to God is that my law, my ways, the way I want to do things is better than God's way. I'm going to ignore your way, God, because I think I got a better way than that. I don't need to do that. I become the, the standard on which I'm going to judge things. Not you, me. I'm going to, I'm going to set the standard, which is what we do, isn't it? When we decide whether a government is good or bad, we set the standard. These are the things you should measure up to. This is what I want to see. When, when you look at someone and you say, is he handsome or not, you set the standard. This is what I think handsome means. I mean, you're all wrong by your laughter, but anyway, you know what I'm saying? When, when, when we speak, we, we set the standards for things and we judge things. And effectively what we say is, God, your law, your standards, they're no good. I'm going to judge by my law and my standards. And basically what we end up doing, James says, is that we put ourselves in the place of God. Who is the only righteous judge? God. Why? 1 Samuel says that God judges not on the outward appearance, but judges on the heart. When we judge, do we judge on the heart or do we judge on outside things? We always judge on what we see on what we perceive. We never have the whole story, do we? We, we go around and we, we judge people on what we perceive is their story, and if we don't know it, we fill in the gaps of what we think, right? And then we judge them. And we say, oh, gee, I won't believe what they did the other day. You won't believe it, you know. It's like when somebody cuts you up in a car, you make a judgment call, don't you? You don't know what, you know. They may be off to the hospital, got to get there quick. They may be, you know, you don't know what's going on in their lives, but we make judgment calls all the time on different things. 
And effectively, what we're doing, James says, is that we're taking the position of God. And we're saying, God, you know what? I know you see the heart and everything, but I got this. I'm going to judge this one. I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to say what's good and what isn't good, what's right and what isn't right. I'm, I'm going to take your role, and I'm going to make it my role, he says. Now, does that mean then that we can't have opinions on things? Does that mean like when, when we come to the next election later this year, we're kind of go, well, I better not vote because I can't judge them, can I? Pastor David said, I better just do nothing. I can't, you know. Is that, is that what it means? No. But there is a difference between judgment and discernment. Judgment is when I put myself above someone else and I look down on them. Discernment is where I see someone and I lift them up. It's the easiest way to look at it. In judgment, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to pull them down. In my words, I speak down to them. Don't think you did very well at that. How many teachers are here? Hmm. You know, so taught not to do that anymore, right? When I was growing up, it was judgment. David, you'll never make a success of anything in your life. That's judgment. David, I see gifts and abilities that you could really use. You're building up, isn't it? Teachers today, you build them up. You encourage them. Doesn't mean to say you're not true to them. But you, you, you lift them up, and, and discernment is about looking at something and then going, now, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. How can I show love in what I see? Now, sometimes that means that you have to go and say something difficult to them and go, hey, you know, the Bible says if we see a brother or sister walking the way of the flesh, that going this way, we, we have a responsibility and we need to go and say, hey, but we do it with a heart that is, is wanting to turn them around and encourage them and lead them in the right direction, a heart of love. Not look at them, they're rubbish. Knew that was going to happen. Knew it. You know? It's like when England failed to win the Euros. Knew that was going to happen. Because we're, right? We're just waiting for them to fail. And you know that you've had loads of people like that in your life, around you, haven't you? I have. Do they critical? They want to pull you down. They're waiting for you to mess up so that they can sit there and kind of go, boom, told you it wouldn't work. And yet the church of Jesus Christ, as brothers and sisters, we need to be the opposite. We need to be people that bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, that encourage and build up Barnabases of this world, that build one another up, that encourage one another, that where we see that our mouths are used, they're powerful, powerful weapons that God has given us with our voice. And the critical thing of this is the motivation. Check the motives. Let me just uh, say as an aside, I've got this written in the vestry. Something I came across a number of years ago. 
It's called The Man in the Arena. Anybody know it? It's by uh, Theodore Roosevelt in a speech he gave in Paris in 1910. He said this. He said, it's not the critic who counts, nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows the, in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. You know what he's saying there? Let me give you one piece of advice. Don't ever listen to those who are not in the arena with you. As a member of God's church, we are called to be in the arena together of life. Life is not easy. We said that last week. It's not easy, is it? But as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to be in that arena together. Don't ever listen in your life to someone who's not in the arena with you because they will not be pulling you up. They will not be loving you. They will be being critical of you. Just choose not to listen to them. The first question I always ask myself when somebody says something is, are they in the arena? I used to have people that, you know, I still do, that used to grade sermons every week. You know, they used to come up to me and they used to give me a grade. One, one time I finished and I was walking up the aisle there and there was somebody sitting right there. One of the elders of the church said, I'll give that a C grade today. You're a bit off. I said, I beg your pardon? He said, oh, sorry, I, I just spent the week grading things. I said, that was wrong on so many levels. Number one, you don't know how to preach. So how dare you? I'm not even listening to you because you don't know what it's like putting a sermon together week after week and preaching week after week. You've got nothing to say to me. Number two, you never came to worship because if all you're doing is sitting in judgment, then you're not offering anything to God. You are taking that place like James has said. You're sitting there in judgment saying, I like this and I don't like that. Who said it was all about you? We come here to make it all about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father, and the Spirit. Amen? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Him. That's why we gather. And so if you sit there and say, oh, he's off today, will not he? Then you know what you've done? You may as well have stayed at home and washed your car, honestly. Because you've come into God's presence and taken God's role. Don't do that. But when people speak to you equally, don't listen to them unless they've been in the arena. I listen to pastors and preachers who know what it is to preach every week. Because when they say things, number one, they're generally encouraging because they know how hard it is. They know what it's like to walk in that journey. 
And so when they do say something that sometimes hurts a little bit, I know that they're saying it with love because they know how hard it is. They know because they've journeyed with me. And they, they say it out of that atmosphere and that, that heart that says, you know what, this is tough. It's not easy and I get it. But, but I just, I'm warning you because I see things that are dangerous in your life. In whatever sphere you are, don't listen to those who neither know as he put it, they neither know, he says, victory nor defeat. They sit in the rafters and they lob bricks. That's all they do. Lob bricks at people. James says, no. Discernment, that's judgment. But he said, real discernment in your life is, is, is so valuable. When people will come alongside, where they will seek to build you up, yeah, it may hurt in their building because they're going to say things where they see you going in the wrong direction. And we don't like being told that. But you know that it's coming out of a heart that wants to build you. So check your own mouth and the mouths of those around you. Check your own speech and the speech of those around you. When people speak to you, first question, is this discernment? Are they lifting me up or are they pulling me down? If they're pulling you down, just don't listen to them. Blank them out. They have nothing to say to you. Jesus says some hard things to us, but he's always lifting us up. The Spirit says hard things, but he's always for our best. And he brings men and women around you to do the same. And when you speak, before you utter a word, think, is this judgment or is this discernment? Am I, is the result of this going to be the elevation of someone? Am I seeking to pull them up and to love them as I, I need to? Love God and love my neighbor? Or am I just sitting in judgment and pulling them down? Pride in our speech, he says, is the first one. The second one is pride in our plans. Look at what he says, verse 13 and 14. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Really encouraging stuff, isn't it? This is James. He's saying, you know, the second thing that the enemy uses to pull us away is pride in our plans, in our lifestyle, in what we're about. First, he says, you know what? Life is complicated. Yes? Life's not easy. It's not simple, is it? Our life is so complicated. You know, it's complicated every morning. You get up and you have to decide what you're going to wear. That's complicated enough, isn't it? If we only had one outfit, it would be simple, wouldn't it? We could just go, oh, or two. One's in the wash and the other one's clean. That would be so much easier. We could just go and go, there's the clean one. I'll put it on. I'm off, right? But no, we, we have like wardrobes full of stuff. Stuff that we haven't used for years. Stuff that doesn't even fit anymore for some of us. Right? I don't know what happens when you turn 40, but God suddenly changes your shape. Didn't he? And then he goes, all your wardrobe's gone. You have to get a new one. I don't know what happens. 
But like life is complicated. We make decisions all the time. We don't just, then we have to go downstairs and we have to decide what am I going to have for breakfast. You know, many parts of our world, even if you have breakfast, there's one choice, right? When I was, when I was in Africa, in Sima, you just have the same thing every single day. You eat because it gives you nourishment. You don't choose what to eat. It's the same every single day because that's all you get. But we have so many choices. Am I going to have Weetabix or cornflakes? Or, and then you have to kind of just say, oh, well, that one's been open for a while, but I better have that one. But I really fancy some, you know, scrambled eggs this morning. So you, Just so many choices before you even come to church. And then you have to look out the window and go, am I going to walk today? Or it's looking a bit dodgy, so I might bring the car. And so we have these choices that we make all the time, all the time. Life is complicated. And it's just like these business people going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, I'm going to go there, I'm going to try this. And he says, then also life's uncertain. He says, you don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. How do you know what tomorrow's going to bring for you? Tomorrow is Monday. What, what's going to happen on Monday morning? I don't know. How am I going to feel when I wake up? Well, what's going to come during the day? I don't know. I've got, I got things in my head, in my diary that I've got to do tomorrow, but there'll be loads of unexpected things. If you work in London, it's, it's a lottery every day, isn't it? Is the tube light going to work? Is it going to be delays? Is it going to be canceled? Is there a bus replacement service? How am I going to get to work? How am I going to get home from work? Let alone what's going to happen in work. Who's going to be there? Life's uncertain, he says. And he also says, life's really short. We're like the mist. And he's like, the mist, he means like just, you know when it's a really cold day and you go outside and you breathe out and there's that mist and then it evaporates? That's, that's the word he uses. It's just like, I love this story, a friend of mine, when, when we were kids, it's not really a biblical story, but you know, when we were kids, he had his first cigarette first thing in the morning. Never smoked before. But he did it after he got back from his paper round. And he was outside, and he, he took a puff, and it was a cold morning like that. And every time he breathed out, the mist came out, but he thought it was smoke from the cigarette. He thought the, the smoke had gone so far inside of him. So he was there going, <laughs> and the more he did that, the more this mist kept coming out of him. And he's thinking, I can't go inside. I'm just going to fill the whole kitchen up full of smoke. Like, this thing has just gone inside of me. And it, he was said he was so panicking. And then finally, of course, he went inside into his kitchen, tried to hide it from his parents that he'd been smoking, and of course nothing came out of his mouth because it was nice and warm in the kitchen. Of course, they smelled the cigarettes, but anyway, that's a different issue. But it's like that. It's, it's like, he says, it's like the mist. It's like that. It just breathes and it's gone. That's our life. When you look at the whole history of humanity, our life is gone in an instant. And he says, you don't know. You don't know if you're going to wake up tomorrow or not, or, or all these things. So he, he says, like, what are you doing? What are you really doing in all of this? He says, we're trying to control our lives. We act as though we have a control over our lives. When life is complicated, it's uncertain, and it's short, and we really have kind of no control at all, but we think we do. We like to think we do. We make all these plans as though they're definite things. This is what I'm going to do tomorrow. This is what's going to happen. And he says, you just don't know 
why, why do you kind of take control of your life like that? As though everything is so sorted by you that you can sit and you can control it all. And then you know what happens when it doesn't quite go according to our plans? We start grumbling about it, don't we? Oh, I had this all planned nicely. And then it didn't work out. So I had to change my plans, and I didn't want to change my plans. And we grumble and we complain, and the enemy tries to get us into that position. But James says, don't do that, because that's pride. That's pride. That's, that's saying you have control again. And this is our issue. It's a control issue. We love to control things. We love to have that semblance of, and that, 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 that ability in our lives to kind of think, I, I'm going to control what I want. And he says, look, instead you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. So he says, not only do we control all the stuff, while we're doing all this control, we're not even thinking about what God wants in all this picture. And so he's saying, you know, if we don't do that, because we don't have time for it, because we've made all the plans for our lives. What is it we're going to do? He says, look, go back to 410. This is where we finished last week. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. You cannot have pride and humility. Pride says, I'm in control. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm going to sit in judgment if I want to sit in judgment. That's pride. Humility says, no, it's all God. God's in control. God's going to do it. And he says, live in dependence on who God is. Live in dependence on God. Now that doesn't mean that we don't make any plans. But we recognize in the making of them that he is in control. So number one, I want my plans to be his plans for me. In everything that I do, I want his plans as part of my life. Not my plans, because my plans are always flawed. I don't see the whole picture, do I? This is the problem. I just see, like as Paul says, really dimly right now. I can't see everything. I can't see the future. I can't see tomorrow. So I need to pray and say, Lord, show me your plans. Let me align my life to your plans and what you want me to do. What do you want me to do in my job, in my career? What do you want me to do tomorrow? What do you want me to do when I go on holiday? Where do you want me to go on holiday? Where, where do you want me to, you know, all these things that we like to control ourselves. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. Give it to God and say, God, what, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go on holiday this year or not? If so, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Because you may have people there that you want me to meet. That If I go to the place I want to go to instead of the place you want me to go to, I'm going to miss that opportunity. Tomorrow, what are your plans, God? And so if somebody then comes in unexpectedly, maybe that's God bringing them into your plans. But if, you've, if all I'm thinking about is my plans, then when they come in, I just, oh, this is an irritation. I ain't got time for this. Happens to me every December. You know that? Ever since I started in ministry, December is just busy. 
non-stop, right? And it builds up to busy, 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 busy. And yet, right in the middle of that, God will bring someone in. Happens every single year, pretty much. And my natural self goes, oh, I haven't got time for this. Like, this, is, this, is, this is inconvenient. Like, I've got sermons to write. I've got things to do. Like, it's busy enough. Lord, why would you bring this person? Maybe that's the Lord saying, I need to stop. You know? I haven't got time. And yet the Lord, I'm echoing now. Hello. The Lord always reminds me, you know, hey, who's in charge here? Are you here for you to do these things, or are you here for me? If I bring this person in, it's because I want you to, this is a priority. This is something you need to stop what you're doing and give them your attention. You know, because there's a tendency then, isn't there, also, I've done this sometimes, where they're, they're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, my day. You, you, you're kind of looking at them, but in your head you're thinking of the million and one other things you've got to do right now, and you're not really paying attention. And so often God said, David, stop, just stop, 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 stop. I brought this person to come see you because this is the person that I want to come, oh, there we go, you know, into your life right now for whatever reason it was. You know, you can help them. Maybe they're going to help you. Whatever ministry it is, I'm connecting two people together right now. Now stop, stop your brain going elsewhere. Just focus on what I'm doing right now. We need to live in that dependence on God. Pray about everything, it says in the Word, doesn't it? He is in control. He is the one. Proverbs says it, doesn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your... Say this together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. What's the proverb saying? It's saying what James is saying, isn't it? Go this way. Trust him. Trust him in absolutely everything. You know, everything in your life. Not just the big things, but everything. Get used to it in everything in your life. Trust him. Look to him. Ask him, what is it you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? If you're bringing interruptions into my life, Lord, I believe these are God interruptions because I'm walking in your way. I'm walking in your pathway. Show me what you want me to do in this situation. Just be in that constant communication with God so that He may direct all your paths and make them straight His way. Because the enemy constantly wants us to look over to the way of the flesh and pull us away and pull us down. And he says, do God's will. Do the will of God. He says at the end, doesn't he? Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. James says it in James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Put it all into practice. You know, these two ways, your mouth and your actions. Those are the two, I think, key ways that we fall so often. We want to go this way, 
But then so easily we end up with a judgmental spirit inside of us and we start talking down. We start talking about things. And as soon as we do that, you know what happens? We stop going that way and we start going this way. So often in our lives we try and make plans and we try and control things and we, we leave God out of the whole process. We don't talk to him. We don't listen to him. You read the scriptures. Read Abraham. Every time Abraham consulted the Lord, it went well. Every time he said, I got this, God, it was a disaster. And then he ended up, God, having to bring him back to where he should have been. Consult God. Ask him and see what he does. Somebody put it this way. They said, God's plan is better than your plan. Amen. And know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God's plan is harder than your plan. Because your plan and my plan will be really easy. Because I like easy plans, don't you? Less to go wrong. God's plans are harder than your plans. They're scarier than your plans. My plans, they're safe. I don't do planning that doesn't go safe, right? My plans doesn't have bungee jumping in there, anywhere involved in it, right? That's just silly. I want to keep safe. I want to keep on solid ground. But God's plans? Hmm. God's plans are way more complex than yours or mine. My plans are simple plans because you know what? My plans revolve around me. God's plans revolves around everybody. And it all sort of fits together like a giant chessboard working together for the good of everyone. God's plans are slower than your plans. Don't you get frustrated sometimes with God? Come on, God. Just get a move on. His plans are way slower because he's got eternity. And God's plans are much, much better, as I said before. You know why? Because they involve everybody. Because my plan is not about just about me. God's plan for me involves you and everybody else in our sphere and he knits it all together like I said like some kind of giant chess game or something that's woven together like a big tapestry that's all kind of interlocking and it makes up a beautiful beautiful picture when we allow God to control what's going on this morning I want to ask you to look at this this week when you go from here this week, ask yourself these three questions. Does what you say this week elevate or diminish people? How much of what you say builds people up and how much of it pulls people down? How much are you sitting in judgment and how much are you really loving people? Think about it this week, okay? When you go through your week, just, just be aware of what you're saying and see for yourself how much is one way or the other. And then secondly, about our plans, what has God told you to do that you're not doing? He says, I've got plans for you. But often we just ignore some of those plans because they're harder and they're scarier and they're, you know, they're more complicated than we would like. And so we just go, yeah, I know you said this, Lord. 
but actually I, I just want to keep going this way and uh, that, that's, that's and he's going no this is the way this is the way the plans you have are a wide route he says that leads to the flesh that leads to hell my, mine is the narrow route what is he saying to you right now that you should be doing that you're not doing and also what has he told you not to do that you are doing because so often we're doing little things we try and take a bit of our plan with us we try and move in this direction but I want to keep this bit because I like this bit this is the bit I can control this is the bit that makes me feel safe what is it that you need to stop because it's pulling you back from accomplishing what God wants I want you to ask yourself those three questions today and this week life is hard right but it's also beautiful it's not easy to follow God's way but oh it's so fulfilling and remember what we said last week where we finished off if you humble yourself if you go his way he has promised that he will lift you up he will give you all the resources that you need to be overcomers he will be the one that, that looks after you that reveals himself to you that helps you to accomplish the way of the spirit when you're walking in this direction the storehouses of heaven are yours and he will pour out blessing in you and through you to other people as you journey this way this way blessing dries up it just dries up because you're saying I don't need it I'm in control I'm doing what I want to do I don't need it this way the blessing happens and the Spirit will continue to pour himself into your life and through you to be an encouragement and to build up others there are two ways that our enemy tries to pull us down one is through our mouth and the other is through our planning and our thinking. Don't let him do it. Just watch yourself. Be aware of yourself. And the beautiful thing is, you know what? We sang about it earlier. We have grace. Every time I mess up, I can say, Lord, I've done it again, haven't I? I, w I was critical. I'm sorry. And he turns me back. Lord, I, I started making my own plans again, didn't I? Uh, I didn't bring you in. I didn't ask you whether the plans that I'm thinking of line up with your plans or not. I'm sorry. And he brings me back. And he keeps me walking in the direction he wants me and you to go. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you lift us up. Because we can't lift ourselves. We try in all these ways. We try elevating ourselves. Pride comes in. We try sitting in judgment. We try controlling the things that you should be controlling. And we mess up so badly. The Bible is full from Genesis to Revelation of people who do that. And it never goes well. 
thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that cleanses us because of Jesus Christ and turns us back to the way of walking with you. And thank you for your word that has example after example after example of people, men and women of God, who chose to walk with you. They weren't perfect. And I thank you for that. Only Jesus was. But you accomplished amazing things through them. And I thank you too for your church. I thank you for Trinity. May we be a place that encourages, that loves one another as you have loved us. That this is the place where we come week after week after week and we receive that encouragement that comes from you through them. Lord, we get those affirmation and that word and that just that building up that you long to bring into our lives through others. I thank you for brothers and sisters here in Christ. I thank you, Lord, for each and every one of us. Encourage us. And this week I ask that you would help us just to become more self-aware aware of what we say and the power of our words are we loving help us to be loving this week to build people up to be a channel of your blessing into their lives in every opportunity and may we lay our plans for the week before you whatever happens this week we know the plans you have for us plans to build and encourage and bless may we walk in those plans this week for we ask this in the name of christ amen let's just pray as we're praying for ourselves let's just pray for our world for a moment lord we just want to lift you our world lord it's a world that is so broken how you must weep over what you saw when you created to what we have made when you put us to nurture your world. And Lord, you see more than we see. You see it all. And so we pray for our leaders and we pray for those in authority and those in influence in our world that we may learn how to build instead of destroy to build our planet instead of destroy our planet, to build one another instead of to destroy one another through war. Lord, we're horrified what we see in Gaza and Ukraine, but in so many other places in our world. Lord, we long for a world where people love you and love their neighbors. You said that that we are to, to look after, to nurture, to encourage one another. There shall be no poor amongst us. Lord, transform our world, we pray. Speak into the lives of our leaders. Give them courage. Give them wisdom that comes from you. And may their plans be your plans. Speak to them. Lord, in the Bible, you speak to people that don't even know you, not members of your family, of the people of Israel. But you cause others to do your will, and I pray that others will do your will too. 
that even if they don't know you, they will know your delight and what you want for your world. Bring transformation and change, we pray. We remember those that we know who are sick and we, we pray for them. Lord, touch them and heal them. Bring wholeness to their bodies in body, mind, or spirit. We lift you those that we know who are struggling in whatever way. Speak into their lives, Lord. And as we know them, may we show love and encouragement to them and build them and be a channel of your presence and your grace into their lives. Bring transformation and change, we pray. We remember those who have gone on before, those who are now with you. We thank you for each and every one. Thank you for their encouragement in our lives and ours in theirs. We lay them before you. And we pray for any who mourn and grieve, asking that you would be their comfort and their strength. Lord, we lift all these prayers, spoken and unspoken, in the words that you gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.